Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. People wondered how we get the titles for our show. And typically, I think about these things, car ride in or maybe the night before. By the way, I wonder how we get titles for No, the I show. know you do. Okay. Well, you're a person. Yeah. Night Before is a great Beatles song. It's on my... Is this because uh, Dan's in London, or is this playlist. just... Is this, what, what is no, this? I mean, Dan is in London, yeah. by the way. Mm. Uh, so when Dan's away, the mice, we are the mice, or the cats, somebody's playing, yeah. and it's you and I. I came to the realization for this title just thinking a few things. So bear with me for a second, because this is going to be somewhat complicated, but I think it's going to make sense. By the way, you are listening to the On The Tape podcast. I'm Guy Adami. That's Danny Moses. Dan Nathan is traveling. We're going to have a guest. I'm going to tell who the guest is because it plays into the title of the show. Our guest is a guy named Dennis DeBusher. And a lot of you be like, DeBusher, I know that name. And you should know that name. His father was Dave DeBusher. I'm sure we'll talk about that with Dennis. And then I started thinking when I was a young lad, late 60s, early 70s, I used to watch the New York Knicks play against the Bucks, against the Celtics, and against the Baltimore Bullets. They were the Baltimore Bullets back then. Wes Unseld, yep. Earl Monroe, Kevin Lockery was on that team. Epic battles. Baltimore. I think Baltimore. There was a movie in 2007 called Hairspray. Christopher Walken was in that movie. For John Travolta. The movie took place Baltimore, Maryland. And the song in that movie that everybody remembers, Danny, is I Can Hear the Bells. I can hear the bells. And I got to tell you something. Over the last week with some of the moves that I've seen in some of these individual stocks, broader market, blah, 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 the freaking bells are ringing. They say they never ring a bell at the top. Let me tell you something, Danny Moses. <laughs> I can hear the bells. And by the way, we will have a conversation with Dennis DeBusher. I think he's the founder of 22V. Brilliant man, by the way, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. Danny, I think I can hear the bells. Hold on a second. Hearing what, things? what happened to the Beatles? Sorry. So the Beatles song, how does the that relate? The night before. No, so you, I, just, yeah. you just said the night before. I, maybe I said the night before, and it's the okay. title of a Beatles song. Okay. But I can hear the bells as well. I, I was so, thinking... No, I know. It's My mind works right. in mysterious ways. You saw that. On Monday, we did a radio show together. I thought you were going Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, no, which I was is not like LSD, which is, is what I think this market's on right now. I would so. agree with that. Okay. 
That's where we are. Yeah, so I don't even, we're 4,500 on the S&P, right? We continue to grind through here. As we're coming on air, I guess if you say that today, yeah, sure. James Bullard just decided he's going to resign from the Fed. It's going and to I'll, Purdue. One of the, <laughs> is that what he said? Why not? Let me uh, go somewhere. I'm, I'm wondering if it's because he was so hawkish that he just gave up on his fight, or maybe there's some trading that went on. I don't know. I mean, we, would that oh, be, we don't know that. We don't know that. I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm we making, haven't seen it before. Was, it's not like we have, I'm just wondering. It was kind of odd to come out. Doesn't like Jackson Hole, I guess, doesn't want to be there in August, or is it after that? I, I don't know. So that just happened, right? So we've had couple of prints this week, mm -hmm. lower inflation than expected on the CPI and the PPI, right? Giving kind of the bulls more fodder here to see, I told you it's going to be a soft landing. You know what? Right now, I think the proof is on the bears, if you want to say that, to prove that no doubt this is it. not a soft landing. And so we're going to go into quarterly earnings here. We're, we're on the eve of JP Morgan and Wells Fargo coming out for the banks. Goldman Sachs and the other guys will be next, next week. week. Delta Airlines came out today, you know, as expected. They pre-announced a better than expected a couple of weeks ago. So things are still okay right now. We're going to talk to Dennis about some of the things that he's actually watching. Interesting, you look at Goldman Sachs, for instance, right? They've cut their earnings estimates in half. They've basically whispered to the streets. So if you look, they're 50% less than where they were three or four weeks ago, what to expect. And I always consider Goldman has been offsides on the consumer business. We're going to see more and more of that that we know. What also happened in the last few days is Michael Barr came out, right? He's a supervisor at the Fed that oversees the banks and saying, we're going to change the way that we're going to yeah. look at, which I think you would like. I'd love to see the, the proof is in the pudding. And then all of a sudden you get these one-offs, right? Microsoft gets to go ahead to buy Activision. And all of a sudden in the Southern District of New York today, XRP, which is a token out there in the crypto world is declared, maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a security after all, it's mm -hmm. using a rally. So we're getting these frothy things that are going on here, guys. So. The frothiness is clearly there. You mentioned Delta Airlines. And again, people would say, how is this possible? I will tell you, you've been in an airport recently. I have as well. Airport travel now is 4% higher than it was pre-COVID-19 when they were making records. Air travel is back. Consumption is clearly back. Those are great things, by the way. But again, it makes the inflation battle that much more difficult. And we're going to talk about, Dennis, about soft landings, no la whatever freaking landing you want to talk about. I still look over the landscape and say the comps are going to get more difficult. Inflation, yes, it's come down. I think we both thought, I think a lot of people thought that 9.1% print the summer of last year was an anomaly. We'd never probably see that again in our lifetimes. So I think we thought it would come down. Now, I'm not suggesting it would come down to this magnitude, but it has. Now it starts getting difficult. So that whole don't fight the Fed, which has been wrong for the last seven months of this year, I don't think you could just say, throw in the towel and say, I'm with you, I'm bullish, because the fundamentals for the market have not gotten particularly better. They've just gotten more expensive. Right. I think things are, listen, things did not degrade in the first half of the mm -hmm. year in the economy to the degree that bears thought that they would, right? Companies have done a really good job managing through this, but you just brought up a great point, and we'll, we've talked about it almost every week, I think, that the comps were going to look good for inflation, meaning good that, that inflation was coming down in the May and June time periods, which is reported in June and July, That was, and now it's about to get much more difficult on a comp basis because, remember, to your point, when inflation peaked, it started to drop last year in the back half of the year. So, again, we all think inflation has peaked, but is it going to reaccelerate? I don't know. What's interesting, Guy, is we sit here – the OIH, which you're an amazing mathematician when I asked you when we got in here, I do you know how much the OIH is up since June 1st? And you said, uh, 255, 325, I don't know, 28% or something like that. Really, you got it. But we think about what, and we'll get into the dollar in a minute, all this stuff that's happening, 
all these commodities are moving higher again, mm-hmm. and some of them will have a direct impact as an input into inflation. And you can do the ex-food and energy game all you want and all that stuff, but as far as a tax on the consumer, it's not going to help here. And so the offset to lower inflation and the dollar being weaker, which I, I want to talk about here, obviously, is that you're pushing up prices of commodities, and that has a negative effect, I believe, on the overall There are market. a lot of people taking victory laps. A lot of people want the Federal Reserve to take a victory lap, which they won't do. I'm not, again, Jerome Powell is, seems like a great guy. He's not going to be one of these people that says, mission accomplished, we've done it, because I just don't think he's wired that way. But in order for the Fed to take a victory lap, this is where it gets difficult at this point. That lag effect that we talk about all the time has clearly not kicked in. To think just because the market is at this 4,500 level, has had this remarkable run to think the Fed's job is over. Now is when things start to get more difficult because, again, you're going to start to feel the impact of 500, soon to be 525 basis points of hikes, a yield curve, again, which went back to 105 points, inversion, back down to 85 basis points, signaling all kinds of, I think, unrest in the broader market. People seem to be saying it's all different this time, but nothing's different. As a matter of fact, I would submit, given the amount of time we've been inverted and given some of the things we're seeing, you could be setting up for a situation that's actually worse. I look at China. Yes. I look at the numbers that came out today. I believe that their export numbers to the U.S. fell 24% in June. That's an amazing number. The imports themselves fell 6.8%. Goldman Sachs wrote a negative report on China in general, and China made every bank and broker dealer in China pull that report down, obviously, things are not getting better as much as they want to stimulate and do things. And I just think that's really can't ignore that. And so the IEA came out today to talk about oil demand, forget about supply for a second, and said they see it dropping. I think this is obviously the main culprit, obviously, in all of that. So we've gone through this rebalance on oil and production and so forth. Oil prices have gone back up. Obviously, the stocks have done very mm-hmm. well. We talked about that going into the second quarter earnings report, what can you own? You are seeing a shift. And I want to talk about right now this NASDAQ 100 rebalance, Let's which talk, is I think it's really up. important. Now, historically, rebalances typically caught the market, not off guard, but the market wasn't necessarily- It always happens at the end of each year in a normal course. It happens- now, with think about it, with the advent of all the technology out there and people gaming the system, I'm going to ask you this question, and I don't know the answer- but is it as important as it potentially could have been historically? Or do you think it's already been gamed out to a certain extent? But talk about the machinations of this whole rebalance. Normally, it's just once a year. Mm-hmm. But when things get this out of whack, when the Magnificent Seven perform like this, you, you want to call it. Again. I know, did it again. Okay. So the key is there's a cap on a percentage right. that you can be, right? We're talking about the top seven stocks, of which really five are impacted by here. You got Alphabet, which has two pieces to it, right? You got Microsoft, you got Amazon, mm-hmm. you got Apple. And you got NVIDIA. Those are the five. Followed by Meta, Tesla are kind of six, seven right there. So those big names comprise over 50%. So the cap is at 40 is what it can be. So they're stepping in, which it is what it is. It's technical in nature, but it tells you how crazy this is that these have gotten that big. So of course, every quant fund is already out there telegraphing what it's going to be. So it was announced last week. We're going to find out tomorrow after the bell, I believe on July 14th, what it's going to look like as far as the change. They've already set the share counts, what the change is going to be. And then it goes into implementation the morning of July 24th. Which so is the, a Monday, I Which think. is a Monday, right. So we already know these names that have to come down. Because no security can exceed 14%, Microsoft and Apple, I think, are the two biggest right now. So they got to take these things down, I think, to 40%. These top five can't exceed 40%. So you're going to see those names. So we're going to see the share counts come out. But 
it's an opportunity, obviously, and an excuse for people to rebalance themselves and say, you know what, maybe these stocks are expensive. Maybe it's time. So it's funny that it's happening, obviously, right now, I think, in a very interesting time period. And that's why you're seeing some of the other NASDAQ names. I believe Broadcom, people believe, will be the biggest beneficiary who sits, I think, at number nine in the top 10 list of people think. So you saw, you've seen an acceleration. So again, don't try to trade it because no. believe me, the quants and the high frequency traders are already way ahead of you. So keep to fundamentals. But if you're looking for an excuse to sell some of these top names that were expensive, you probably got it here. My sense is, again, people probably game this out for quite some time. You can say, this is going to be a ridiculous comment. Apple at 190, it participated up to these points. But on days when the market's been up big, Apple's sort of been meandering. So maybe that's part of it as well. I don't know. It's a very difficult thing to game out. But the fact it's more important... The fact that it has to be done is, I think, what's interesting because it speaks to what we speak about all the time. Leadership is extraordinarily narrow. You could say, yes, other stocks have moved up as well, which is all true, but not to the extent the size of these companies, which I think if you added them up together, well, I shouldn't even do the math, but you're talking tens of trillions of dollars of market cap now. It's just to keep it simple, the top five, Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, NVIDIA and Amazon are 46%. Yeah. Okay. They have to go down to 38.5%. So those are the, that's your game right there, just to clarify what the five would be. Yeah. It's a time to make you start to look at these things and realize, wow, that's really out of whack. And remember, this NASDAQ 100 is the index that's used for all of mm -hmm. these ETFs. So it does have an impact. And it's something you have to pay attention to sometimes. You mentioned Microsoft Activision. I know you get exercised oh, about these things. So I'm just going to tee it up because. It's this is happening. the last time I'm going to talk about it. It's I don't, not I happening. Can't even... It's happening. There are people that have benefited from this. There are people that have gamed this out, theory, again, using that term. But why don't you go on one of the little Danny rants? Because well, this, this is will something... be the fifth or sixth time I've mentioned this since the insider trading accusations or informal inquiries or formal inquiries occurred. Remember, Alex von Furstenberg's stepdad is Barry Diller. Barry Diller and David Geffen, the music producer, are close friends. So let's take those three of them. Alex von Furstenberg had breakfast with the CEO of Activision, I believe, on January 14th, Kodak. That day, Diller and Geffen spent tens of millions of dollars on call options. Mm -hmm. The stock was at 63.64. Here's where they got was. creative. Activision right. was. And they bought $40 strike calls when the stock was at 63. Okay, Deep in the money calls. For people who don't and spent a lot of money. I believe that when the day that it was announced, which was, by the way, four days later on the deal, I think on paper, I think they made $60 million or something. Literally had breakfast, bought call options, and four days later. I don't know what the defense is, and I'm not accusing them of wrongdoing. I'm not the judge and jury here. But now we have the deal actually a judge blocking the FTC from blocking this deal. So now the deal is actually going through. Granted, those call options are probably long gone, and I can't remember the duration of what they had, and who knows if they sold them or unwound it. Remember, they did that trade at J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan, because they were under consent, was forced to report this trade because it was large and it was deemed, you know, after it, obviously the news came out of a buyout. They're the ones that reported it to the SEC. So I don't know, but I just find it unbelievable that if you search on Google for Barry Diller, Von Furstenberg, and Geffen and Activision, the last report you'll see literally is April 2022. Congratulations to everybody. And I'm, everything's fine. I love to have breakfast meetings. It's wonderful. So anyway, so that I'll probably never mention it again, but I can't believe we haven't seen any news on this thing, even in conjunction with this deal getting approved. It, it feels as though, I'm not suggesting anything nefarious or anything, but people no, just, just good luck. People just, just don't luck. care anymore. Now, yeah. people say a lot of times they push back, you don't give us enough trades. Last week you did. 
Last week you did. So why don't we just rehash that a bit? Because where are we talking? What those gaming stocks? Well, that was from May, right? Yeah. And I mentioned them again, right? It was from May, and you mentioned them again. So why don't we just walk down memory lane quickly? Because these we're things, not victory lappers. I don't. No, we're do- not. But it's important just to give people an update as to what's going on. The two stocks that we talked about that were my sports gambling plays were Genius Sports G E N I and Sport Radar S R A D. Right. Both for different reasons. Just know that these are the two, between all the major sports leagues, they basically license all the data. They can create bets, right? So the NFL actually owns, I believe, 10% of Genie, of Genie we'll call it Genie, G-N-I. Stock was hanging around five and a quarter or whatever at the time, about a billion market cap. It's now at $8, right? Because they signed an extension with the NFL in the last week, which I didn't know about, but it removes an overhang. And these companies are both going to be free cash flow positive in the back half of the year, right? So here you have these companies, right, which are small relative to all the other things that are out there. And I believe that both Sport Radar and Genius will be targets in the future from the likes of an Amazon mm-hmm. or a Google who is in the data business, who can eat, who are in the NFL business, who are trying to get deeper into sports. And so it was just a good risk reward because, listen, I love finding longs when I can find them, guy. And the macro in sports gambling, as I mentioned, is still so strong. When you have Texas, California, and Florida not yet participating in these markets. You start to think about it, and sports gambling has been booming. And then I would say on gold too. I mean, I think well, that's why I was going to. So I was going to stop there and say something else has been happening over the last couple of weeks. There's been a precipitous drop in the U.S. dollar. The headwind of a stronger dollar has abated big time for commodities, and now gold, which did struggle over the last few weeks prior, is back on the horse now. Nugget is a way you play trading it. N-U-G-T, that's done extraordinarily well. But let's just talk about gold for a second because I'm going to say this, and I wish I'm not about It's very hard to make a compelling bearish case for gold right now given everything that's going on, which means there has to be one, but I'm struggling to find it. Yeah, the bearish case on gold has been people use crypto, mm-hmm. digital gold to replace it, right? And or we have a soft landing that means everything's perfect which means the Fed's not going to be cutting anytime soon. The Fed's done hiking kind of in this perfect environment, and it doesn't yield anything. We know that it doesn't yield anything. So I'm giving you the negative. Yes. So when rates move up like this, oh, I'd rather own T-bills at 4 or 5%. It's a non-interest-bearing asset. But the underappreciated things in the world to me are the geopolitical risks that are out there, okay? That's one check mark for gold. You talk about it all the time. You follow the data better than I do. The global central banks have been, been buying, buying gold, gold right? Twenty twenty. And now we're going to go into this meeting, I think, in late August about changing the, the standard, going back to the gold standard, not in the United States, obviously, but certain other countries, which really have no choice at this point, right, potentially. So a lot of things going on. Gold could easily, again, nobody owns this. Nobody other than the central banks own gold. That's right. They don't. And imagine if even a half percent allocation or 1% allocation went. The physical gold, how people are going to express that trade, to me, is what may create the mania here. And so you talked about NUGT, which is 2X ETF minor thing. And really, it's a very risky product to own. Those things you don't want to own long-term. You want to trade them directionally if you think you get gold because it does erode over time mm-hmm. with the fees and so forth. You got your GLD, which is a way to express it. But again, we won't go into the underlying aspects of that. You don't really own gold, you're expressing a trade in gold, the PHYS, which is the closed-in fund. Which, so there's a lot of ways to do this thing. I just love it because if we're going to shift out and if you want to start bringing in rate cuts, which now, by the way, as we sit here today, I believe I'm looking at Fed Fund futures correctly, are now January again. So we pulled them from March 24 to January. You know, it's changing pretty much every day based upon these data points, but one more hike kind of guaranteed coming in mm-hmm. July. And then 
it's basically saying there's going to be a cut coming early yeah, next year. I don't so. personally, I don't see that, but it doesn't matter what I see. The market clearly does. The market in the form of the S&P and obviously these individual names, they're looking past all the shit that's happening over the next few weeks and they're saying, you know what? There are rate cuts coming. We want to be ahead of that. And we want to be ahead of it in high growth, high valuation names. Great. Bank earnings. Are they even important right now? So I mentioned this. So JP Morgan is effectively trading it one and a half times tangible book, 1.9 times book-ish type of thing. It's not crazy historically. I think it's expensive in this environment. The bank earnings matter. They matter to a degree. These, the big banks are, are fine. They're safe. They're going to trade within a range, in my opinion, over time. And they're going to be basically, I think, still there to potentially take over some of the problem banks that may come over time here. So your net interest income, which is the one thing people look at, is basically the difference in what you're paying your depositors and what you're earning on your loans that are out there. And it's been shrinking and it's been it difficult. Been. And their inability to control, it's not about losing deposits, it's about where those deposits, what they're in for the consumer. And so that you can predict out there, right? I think credit is the next leg of this. And I, I think agree. the corporate credit's still fine. I think prime credit's still fine, but we know subprime's bad. So these banks will manage through it, right? You're going to have maybe build up in reserves for consumer credit. No doubt. People, so watch that with Wells Fargo, watch that with Bank America. Not so much JP Morgan, because they have other stuff there that kind of moves that to the side, but it is going to be interesting. And it'll be interesting to see how they talk about what's going on. I mean, Goldman Sachs, I think for the first time I can remember, has gone through this period of massive underperformance relative to these. They were always immune from all this stuff going on because they were the best traders on the street. They have albatrosses in the company mm -hmm. right now. And the layoffs are happening still at the banks. We're going to hear more and more about that. They're getting leaner. So I see these things as utilities guy. I, I think that you can trade them on fear and sell them on greed, so to speak, in terms of when these things get up to, but I think they're all range bound. Uh, but listen, you may get opportunities here off of these quarters to an overreaction to the up or the downside. Some of these industrial names have been traded pretty well. There is a case for maybe everybody else sees something that you and I don't see. And because the industrials trade well, obviously we mentioned airlines, some of these travel stocks, what hasn't traded particularly well are names that are going to start playing catch up. Names that have just been so bludgeoned. I'm not saying it's Coinbase, but look at the move in Coinbase over the last couple weeks. It's a stock that's up probably close to 100%. So you are seeing catch up in some of these. Hush. That's a one-off, right? Because it is a one-off. If finance gets put out of business and then they're the only game in town and they're suing the SEC and they're fighting all these being declared, these are securities. And you get the news today from the Southern District of New York that XRP may indeed not be a security. So it's just a lot of noise that's out there, guy. But again, you go trade a Coinbase, which by the way, very large short interest. Some mm -hmm. of the smartest people I know are shorter and I believe they're going to be proven right over time. But here we go again, right? There's been a lot of short squeezes again, which when you think it's over, it comes and gets you. It comes and Catch you, so. Do we even bring up Tesla because we have to do a sort of an homage to Dan Nathan? I know you're sick of it. It's $280 stock. Yeah. Seemingly, everybody's going now. The world is setting up for Tesla as more and more of these manufacturers are going to their charging stations. Apparently, that's a good well, thing. Because that'll add 50 cents in earnings in 2032. I say right. that tongue-in-cheek, no, but I, I think you that's do, actually that's the, the right point. number. But the headline suggests Here, it's a good thing. Here's the thing. Until it starts trading again on fundamentals— it, you, you can't really do anything about it in terms of on, on the short side. It does not trade on fundamentals, which is fine. If you want to be bullish on it and point to some future revenue stream and this guy's going to save the world and do all that, great. But I, you're not going to see me be long it at these levels, slightly short still at this point. It's just throw that in the bucket with a lot of other names that are out there which don't make a lot of sense. You look at a name like Carvana. What do you think, that they've just turned the corner on their right. entire no. business? No, you haven't. The trends are still in place. So we get Tesla earnings, I believe, July 19th. 
I don't know. It's pretty predictable in the sense we don't know what the margins are, but we'll see how they talk about them. It's predictable. We know the deliveries and all that other shit. I'm not going to fight the tape here on that name. It is what it is. And ever since the NVIDIA quarter, it changes complexion again because Tesla gets the benefit of every single thing that's going on in the market. Oh, now it's going to be, it's an AI play. They were AI before anybody. And now Musk, now you got me going. Now Musk I, is going to start his own AI do. thing after you said, oh, it's going to end humanity. Whatever, man. Whatever flavor of the day. When I walked in here, I got here approximately 12.30 in the afternoon to do our 1 o'clock show, the market call. And you were in there. You were by yourself. You were talking to yourself, yeah. which I know is a pretty good indicator that maybe things have gotten a little frothy. <laughs> what was I when saying? I'm, no, you're just mumbling to yeah. yourself. What should we be looking at, if anything, that's nobody's paying attention to right now? I'm looking at these currency moves, right. these commodity moves. I was singing Janet Jackson for Vinny as a shout-out. Control. That's yield. what you were doing. That's not my point. You're in there just yield, sort of saying yield it Yield curve to control. What's yield curve control? That's the Bank of Japan that yeah. put this in place in 2016. I know we had a question from listeners out there about, hey, what's so important about the yen? Remember, in 2016, they said, we we want to get inflation back towards a 2% level. They have massive deflation for years. We're going to get there, and but we're going to control our 10-year yields at the same time. So they basically changed the bound in December, this last December, from 0 to 25 basis points on the 10-year to 25 to 50. The concern, and what should happen, is that they're going to raise that bound up to maybe 75 bips. There's a meeting coming up July 28th from the Bank of Japan. We may hear something about this, Right. So the yen and all this, we had talked about it weakening over time. It's a major currency going from, what, 130 to 145 back to 138. Huge and my moves. thought is, this is crazy. These type of moves, and we've seen it in commodities. We talk about it in U.S. treasuries. We talk about it in currencies. People are getting hit on these things left and right. Now, people are now shorting the dollar, right? Mm -hmm. You've seen emerging market currencies rise. We're watching the yen rise or what, what, the euro, the Swiss franc, all against the dollar kind of start to rise here. And I think you have to understand that when those type things happen under a very short period of time, there's stuff in the wake, as we call it. If you think of a plane taking off, you're behind that thing. So it's not positive. But within that, just when you think about, it brings you back to kind of the central banks in general. And that's really what I was thinking about. I'm like, what am I doing fighting? Forget about fighting the tape. These central banks are still in control of all the liquidity in the system. So the thought is the Bank of Japan raises that limit and the 10-year yield in Japan goes higher. They have inflation finally. It's not crazy. But as approaches the 2% number, they may have to do something. So new Bank of Japan governor, Yuida, is there, and we'll see. A lot of consternation in the market. It just got me I thinking. I love that, that word, consternation. Yeah. And it, yeah. I, you were out there talking to yourself. Yeah. So, so. I mean, it's always find that, it, to me, that's an indicator for Yield sure. Yield curve control. See, that's what I mean. That's what yeah. you're doing. You did yeah. it over and over again. Yeah. Control, yeah. I don't even know what that is. Right. It's some gym. The central banks control everything. No, no, no. I, I understand that. <laughs> I don't yeah. understand. Is it a song? I don't know. Yeah. It is. Yes, it is. Janet Jackson sang a song, Control. Yeah, it was I number know. one. By It was a great song. Well, that's not going to be the title of the show. No. I already gave you the title. The title of the show is going to be I Can Hear the Bells and a Conversation with Dennis DeBusher. Before we get out of here, anything else? So, Guy, what I'm thinking about here is that people are being short-sighted. And you could argue that bears were being short-sighted coming into the beginning of the year. They were so convinced that we were going into recession, that things were going to slow you would start to see the impact of higher rates for longer. We've had higher rates now for longer for some time. It's mm -hmm. been this way 15 months, 16 months. We've been in this regime of rising rates. We're going to do it again here soon. But all the underpinnings, right? Demand is slowing in certain areas, which, by the way, yes, congratulations on inflation dropping, right? But one of the reasons inflation will start dropping because demand's dropping. Mm -hmm. And if you want to just pull it back and make it simple on S&P earnings, right? And if we're sitting somewhere between – I don't know, 210 and $225 on what people think 2023 earnings would be. But more importantly, I've talked about rolling the calendar forward. My fear for bulls 
is that, or people need to start being honest with themselves, as we, if we really are going to start to slow things down, inflation is in slowing as a result of that, where's the market trading at this point? And to me, it's very expensive. And that's not pricing in any risk to anything, quote, breaking. Mm -hmm. And we've seen iterations of things breaking with the banks in March and what happened. There's a lot of other stuff that's out there. And when I talked about how these currencies move, how these commodity move, how these rates move, like that's not healthy, people. I don't care if you're bullish or bearish. That should scare the shit out of you. I agree. My point is that we are still reliant with these central banks. And what's so frustrating to me is I want to get to a point back where I thought we were last year in a stock picker's market. And yes, there are plenty of things that people are not watching that you can own. And Porter and Vinny, great testament to stuff that they're finding. Look at this play in uranium, the CCJ. There are things that are still undiscovered that are out there. I'm just nervous that the bears are going to cave. The bulls are in control, which is fine for a period of time. But just be honest with yourselves. You got the trade right. Congratulations, bulls. I really mean that. But now's the time to really take a look and really believe that where do you really think earnings are going to look at? Do you really think we're going to have no landing? I just don't. Or a soft landing? I don't. And I've seen this game before. And I think we're going to start to see credit on the margin get worse and worse. And then I don't know, guy. I just I don't see how we when we start to shift the calendar to 2024 earnings, what multiple we're going to be trading it. And or we've pushed off the recession. That's fine. We've also done is push off the trough in what earnings might be. Always going to be early and wrong as a bear. And again, congrats to all those bulls. But as a ringing the bell, to your point, that are out there, great, ring the bell, but then have an honest conversation with yourself. A lot of of people taking their victory laps, good for them. I don't think the track meet is over, by the way. And there are a lot of things out there that still, with each passing day, things aren't getting better. The market's getting better, but the underlying, the underpinnings to your point. I think you just said it best. If that's your thermometer of whether you have a fever or not, Mm -hmm. and the S&P being at 4,500, don't let that tell you that everything's still fine just because you're 98.6. There's stuff going on that is not okay, in my opinion, and that's what I'm talking about, guy. And so don't go to sleep on this market. Is it, be honest with yourself. And I think, listen, I know people that have been constructively bullish that are, I think, using this maybe rebalance as an excuse mm-hmm. on this NASDAQ 100. Great. Take it as an excuse to realize in your face how much these things have run. It's a real chance to do that. And listen, we're going to talk about this with Dennis, obviously, how people are positioned. Again, we get to August or September, and you're a fund, a hedge fund that's up double digits right now. I think you're going to feel pretty good about yourself not going to cash necessarily because you really can't do that, but going into much more value, safer names for the rest of the year. And so, listen, you and I both know August has been a tumultuous month many times in the last several years. We know what's happened in October Mm -hmm. in the past, and I don't know, guy, things aren't lining up. Shout out to Nikki Blonsky, by the way. She played sort of the lead role in that whole thing. I mean, that movie, it's a great movie. You should go to Blockbuster and rent it. Christopher Walken, it's amazing. Anything he's in, I don't know. Anything he's in is amazing. John Travolta, I mean, I can hear the bells. I can hear them. Yep. I can, you can hear him too. Yep. Doesn't mean we're right, but I can. I hear something. And in a minute, you're going to be hearing from Dennis DeBusher, the founder of 22V. So stick around. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually with an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers 
their community overseas an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. In 1968, Danny, the Knicks made a trade that sort of fell under the radar screen for a lot of teams, but it changed the trajectory of their team. It set them up to win the NBA championship in 1969 and subsequently in 1973. In 1961, Walt Bellamy was the first pick in the NBA draft. Great player, Bellamy. I would submit one of the top 150 players of all time. To this day, rebounding records and stuff. The Knicks had Bells, as they say, a guy named Howard Comives. And they traded both those guys to the Detroit Pistons for a gentleman named Dave DeBuscher. Dave DeBuscher subsequently went on to be one of the, I think, 75, it was 75-year anniversary of the NBA, one of the top players in the league, which is true. He then went on to be the general manager of the Knicks. He was the guy in the seat. When I was in college, the Knicks got the first pick in the draft, and we're going to talk about this in a second. A lot of people think, oh, it was completely set up. DeBuscher knew. Bullshit! He didn't know this. You could see the we're surprise on his minute. face. Yeah. And the Knicks then subsequently drafted Patrick Ewing. So Dave DeBuscher, for the Knicks fans like myself, he is in the Mount Rushmore of Knicks players. And we are fortunate enough, Danny, to have his son with us today, Dennis DeBuscher, Danny Moses. That's quite an intro. He is the equivalent, I guess, top 75 strategist of all time. How about that? Is that fair? <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. But <laughs> all right. Welcome to uh, On the Tape here, Dennis. Great to have you here. And you and I have known each other a long time from your yep. days at ISI. You always put out great research. And the thing about you is the charts speak for themselves. You know, you're very concise on that. And you don't try to pick a side necessarily bearish or bullish. You try to give the evidence and let people decide for themselves for yep. the most part. And you've done a great job at that. I, of course, will see your dad and immediately point to being bearish. I'm sure bulls will see your dad and point to be bullish. So let's start with this right now. First of all, before we get into that, tell us about 22V, what you've been doing for the last year and a half. And you had a what, 18 year run at ISI. Yeah, 18 year run and left to start 22V two years ago. Was at ISI, was bought by Evercore. For those who don't know yeah. ISI, just in general, and Ed yeah, and Nancy, worth- and just spend a couple minutes on that because yeah. So mm-hmm. Ed Hyman's legend in the business, and he built a company called ISI, um, number one ranked economist. Uh, it's thirty five mm-hmm. years or something like that, uh, according to Institutional Investor Magazine. Uh, probably getting it wrong. Could be thirty eight years. It's a right. ridiculous <laughs> amount of uh, years in a row. And so he built that firm up. We we're traditionally a macro firm. So I think probably when we first started talking it was around the financial crisis, correct? Right, because we were one of the few macro firms going into the financial crisis. There's a lot of them now, but we had monetary policy research. A guy named Tom Gallagher, one of the greats, mm-hmm. Ed Hyman, Graph and technical, and so we had a pretty good bench. We went into stock research from there, became one of the biggest independent research firm, and was bought by Evercore, the investment bank. Like what was it, 2015? Yeah, and, so, and then they ruined it slowly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's interesting is that. Tiger Global, for people who don't know, has has spawned off the greatest successful hedge funds, right? There's seven or eight hedge funds which yep. came out of Tiger. ISI is very similar in the sense that there's been groups that have come out and have gone on yeah. to be successful. So I consider those kind of 
buy side, sell side, parallel in that degree, just all-star talent. Yeah, it's a pretty good analogy. You have Jason Schrenner doing great work mm-hmm. with his team over at Strategus. Georgetown University graduate, okay, by the there way. there you go. Fine. Yeah. Please continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Jeff DeGraff, I already mentioned. Nancy with her own firm that was exactly. just uh, sold to, to Piper. Uh, yeah, so there's been a couple of spinouts that have uh, All right, been so let's, successful. Let's get into it, because we are at a time period now. We just got through the first half of the year. I just looked at your report from a couple days ago. I want to start with kind of what you started with, which people are looking for credit conditions, financial conditions, lending standards, thought that these things would dissipate, right, in terms of yep. available credit. And they have to a degree, but there's a lot of liquidity still around in the market. So I want to start with that because that's what you started with and your kind sure. of last support. So if we talk about financial conditions in general, which the kind of the Fed looks at, where are we? Yeah, right now they're actually eased quite a bit over the last six to eight months. The reason why they've eased is like really important. Some of that gets to your liquidity point. Some of that gets to the potential for R star or equilibrium interest rate. Sorry to use that term, but like your natural interest rate to be higher. So one of the most important conversations I think that's going on that investors totally underappreciate is that if you have like a pre-COVID mindset, which is to say the economy is going to be extremely weak, you have a zero lower bound economy, right? You got to have rates at zero. 5% 5% interest rates should have just destroyed mm-hmm. this economy. We should be in a really big recession. Fast forward to today, we've seen this aggressive increase in interest rates, and we have seen economic impact, obviously, but we haven't seen the severe type of economic impact that a lot of people were predicting. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Is it because there's always a lag effect? I'm surprised it hasn't taken hold. Maybe it won't. I don't, I'm not suggesting I'm going to – I say it all the time. I'm not smart enough nor humorous enough to be an economist. But there was a lot of money sloshing around, which probably prolonged the lag effect. Are we just setting up for the inevitable in terms of this downturn? Or is it, dare I even say it, Danny, different this time? I'll never say it's different this time. The reason why it could last longer, I think, are twofold. One, higher debt-to-GDP ratios. It's not talked about enough that there's consistent fiscal impulse now Mm -hmm. relative to what we have just witnessed. gets to your money point. If you have that, you have the ability to weather higher interest rates. That's one. Two, the wealth effect is so enormous, I don't think people do a good enough job of internalizing it. So have you heard excess savings? Mm-hmm. This idea that excess savings are being drawn down, everyone's every day, like, oh my God, excess savings. I'm not going to say they're unimportant, but it was estimated they peaked at $2 trillion, maybe there's $500 billion, and there's these detailed reports. Mm-hmm. Like, not $500 billion has gone. Look out. Mm-hmm. How about the plus $35 trillion in positive net worth shock from 2020 to today? Right. So last year, so if you go 20, uh, January 2020 through the beginning of last year, you were about like plus 35 trillion. Stock market uh, sold off, came down to plus 32 trillion. Market hasn't gone all the way back, but home equity has increased. So you're back roughly right now to plus 35 trillion in positive net worth shock relative to the January 2020 period. So you have a bit of a fiscal tailwind. You have a positive net worth shock at the household level that has led to savings rates coming down and both of the household and the corporate sector. And that's why you're able to withstand the 5% for now. It just takes longer for it to have an impact. I'm going to let Danny jump in after this, but you mentioned debt to GDP levels, which depending on what you look at, it's probably approaching, what, 135, 140%-ish? Yep. And my history book suggests no developed economy in the history of mankind is be able to recover from anything north like 120, 125%. Or what are we setting ourselves up for? Or does not even matter at this point? Yeah, it's, it will matter eventually. But for now, um, as long as your nominal interest rate is below nominal GDP growth, your debt is technically self-liquidating over time. Well, that goes out like 100-something mm-hmm. years, so it's not in reality. What we're setting ourselves up for, to the extent that 
we had continued fiscal impulse, higher debt to GDP ratios, and the economy remained pretty strong, inflation kept on going higher. At some point, especially with quantitative tightening potentially, your nominal interest rate will go above nominal GDP growth. When that happens, you have a pretty big problem. But as long as you're not there, worrying about that from a six to 12 month, what I'm doing in the market is just not worth it. So people use, and you have this on your charts, 10-year yields as the signal to yeah. go buy things. If 10-year yield drops, I'm going to go buy growth because yes. I'm feeling good, right? Equity risk premiums be damned, whatever it might be. Yep. So what you're saying is you just described it, it becomes self-fulfilling. But what if the 10-year yields are dropping? Because which I believe they are, the reason they will, will be is because people believe the economy is going to be slowing, that short-term interest rates higher for yep. longer are causing this. So how do you reconcile the all is clear, 10-year yields dropping, so let's go take risk when the risk may be right behind us, maybe coming around. Yeah, the only way to reconcile that is to say that, which I think is a somewhat fair argument, I'm not going to say that's a fair argument, is to say that, because another version of what you're saying is the yield curve is deeply inverted, potentially going to get more deeply inverted if 10-year yields come down. Doesn't that mean a recession's likely on the horizon? There's a couple of different ways to reconcile that, but the, the main one is to say the yield curve is a recession probability indicator, not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's telling you that inflation's coming down in the future. It's just a matter of if it's coming down the hard way or the easy way. That would be one. Two, you have like an N of eight, like it's not the greatest data set. And then three, which we've, we can get into if you want, but estimates of term premium are deeply negative. So you had- Explain a, that to yeah, people. Yeah. So a term premium is basically your, let's call it your- uncertainty or risk in 10-year yields generally associated with inflation risk. Um, and so when you have a negative term premium, in this case, a deeply negative term premium, it means that you're going to make more money interest-wise by rolling over short-term debt as opposed to owning a 10. It should be the opposite. Mm -hmm. You should have a higher risk premium for the longer duration asset. Right now, estimated by the Fed, and these estimates are imperfect at best, I think it's like negative 50 basis points. At one point, it's negative 100, so you're losing 100 basis points by owning 10s versus rolling over short duration rates. Okay. So if you adjust the yield curve for term premium, imperfect at best, it's much less inverted. And the last time we had inversions without a recession were in the 60s when you also had estimates of negative term premium. I used to have these dinners and be a group of people. I'm sure you Well, you can tell that I, I, I have a lot of good food in my belly over time, but you would do these surveys. You would do them either over email or yep. you would sometimes do them at dinner, if I remember. Yes. We would literally pass around a hat and write stuff yeah, down yeah, yeah. and questions. So one of the things you've done recently, probably your last conference you guys just had, it was a great event, by the way, chances of recession, which if you're bearish, you want to see people at 20 to 25%. Right, understand. It's at 80% still so in terms of what so you're yeah. So you're suggesting that's some sort of counter indicator. I'm saying it's bullish to yeah. people that you want to see. Can you, it hasn't really changed at all. Things have gotten pushed out a little bit. But it's talk been about amazingly that. stable above 80%. And the responses are fascinating. We, right. we typically get the type of clients we have, it's usually two to 300 people are participating. So it's a pretty, pretty broad set. So we started the year, it was 90% odds in our 2023 Outlook survey. We got as low as like 75% at the end of January. And then right. it's been above 80, back up to 90 and around the banking crisis. So you've been consistently above 80%. And then to start the year, this is my favorite one, 30% of the people had 90 to 100% odds, Yep. right? So that was like wild to me. I'm like, that's pretty mm -hmm. high conviction. At a time where obviously the economy looked like it was slowing, but it wasn't obviously falling off a cliff. So to monetize that seemed pretty difficult. And positioning was obviously- By the way, like, if I had been in the survey, it would have been 31%. <laughs> <keep going>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But positioning going into the year and continuing through this year has yeah. been more recession-oriented, either through being negative on the market or being very defensive in the market. And that's slowly been unwinding all year long. So here we are in July. 
now people that have had the opinion that Danny has had, I have had, Dan Nathan, you're starting to play, holy shit, it's July, and before you know it, it's going to be the fall. We got to catch up in a big way. Is that, to a certain extent, are we seeing that catch up right now, just people chasing? Because I will tell you, when an NVIDIA adds $100 billion of market cap over the last, I don't know, couple, three or four trading days, on top of whatever they've added over the last six months, that speaks to chase to me. 100%. Like we are in the chase mode right now. I have a tough time arguing that those type of names can continue chasing higher from here. Mm -hmm. Those were the first movers in the non-recession call. Everyone said, low and NVIDIA is going up and the big caps are going up. That means there's going to be weak growth. I'm like, no, people are putting money to work. They're just putting in those names first. The chase is going to be in everything else. Mm -hmm. So there was an obvious post the banking crisis in people's eyes of long tech, short everything else, because the economy is going to be slow. And that's where the big unwind, I think, is going to continue. So retailers that got mauled going into the beginning of June, transports, all the things that would be most economically sensitive, I think, is where you're going to see the chase from here. So yes, to answer your question, well, but more internal than headline. And we're seeing it. Some of these industrial names are trading unbelievably well. So yes. maybe it's happening right before our eyes. Which is a healthy, which is actually what you would want to see if you believed in a soft landing, correct? It, it is a soft landing trade or potentially a no landing trade. Right. I mean, it's a, I don't even know if I can describe it as soft landing anymore because it looks more no landing if you look at forward earnings estimates. If you think not a lot of deterioration this year in 2024 is up 10% plus. So one of your 100 charts, and I mean that in a nice way because you really put together great information, is you have a chart where it's normal it's growth, it's transition, and it's recession, right? Those yes. are the four things, right? Yep. And we're sitting in this transition. Yes. Here. So which one are you choosing that we're going to end up in? Because I guess you can stay for a couple quarters, but how long can we stay here? You're already well past the point where you should have been here already. So transition periods, just to, to describe it, we look at it quantitatively and we look at data points that would suggest you're in different type of economic regimes. So in simplified terms, normal or recession or right now transition, or there's growth, but Transition periods are periods that have no clear signal from economic data points one way or the other. This one is already 75% longer than anything we've seen in the past. What it's, is that average duration? Sorry, 75% longer. Should it be it's two usually, quarters? Or should yeah, it it's usually like a quarter, usually about four months. Okay. You generally don't see transition periods last. Theoretically, we should be coming out of it very soon. And if I were just to go with the data, it would be soft landing. Can I say that may have occurred because the Fed injected $500 billion into the market in March and April through these programs that bailed out the banks. Is that safe to say that it caused a near-term blip in all of this? Because the things that were happening, right, in the sure. market, one of the reasons to be negative coming into 2023 was the move in bond yields, was the mark-to-market for these banks. Sure. Whether people wanted to pay attention, that got alleviated, and we end up guaranteeing all deposits, basically, across. Yes. We did. So and that's my opinion on what potentially may have caused this to go on longer. i just get your thoughts on that, because... I would agree that the day before the banking crisis, Powell's in front of Congress threatening to go 50 basis points. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Uh, like to your point. So yeah. it's really difficult for me to disagree with you. The Federal Reserve has certainly helped manage the cycle a little bit longer, but they have gotten lucky on the data recently. The inflation data has come down a little bit at the same time that the labor market did remain relatively firm. Hold on, but we knew the comps were going to be easier. These were the two months. Oh, yeah. We I knew this. It's about to get a lot more difficult when we go into the July print, the August print. Things now— well, You're be right. I'm talking on the like the core services mm -hmm. stuff that yeah. the Fed looks at. On the core service stuff, you still have two, more, you have two to three more months of easier comps. Yep. Okay. This is the most important conversation, by the way, yep. because 4Q is when the rubber meets the road on that. The easy part of disinflation is happening now. On a headline basis, it's happened, to your point. Yep. On a core basis, you have a couple more months. 
there. of the easy disinflation. And then, because if you look, and I know you yeah. watch this, very quietly, gasoline prices have been moving higher again. Yep. Housing does not give an inch, so shelter is still a huge component of this. Those comps, which begin when they kick in in like October-ish. Yeah, October, November. Yeah. yeah they'll show up in like the November data, maybe October. It's going to be pretty interesting. What's a really good point. At that point, also goods disinflation, mm-hmm. your, your easy comps there will be behind you from the easing of the supply chain and the entire world switching from goods to services created this big downdraft and inventory adjustment that has lowered prices there. If wages don't come down more, the ability to get from 4 to below 3% on core inflation is going to be really hard, which then would require more tightening from the Fed, all things equal. And then obviously that's not good for the market and that raises recession odds. Everything is dependent on wages now, in my opinion, coming down so we can have that decline from four to below 3%. So here's the big question. When you think about inflation coming down, which we knew it had peaked, even bulls and bears are the same. Now the bulls and bears are actually in the same camp again, except the reason for inflation to come down, what is causing it the most, what will Mm -hmm. propel to go, is it a lower demand in general? And if there's lower demand in general for things, what does that do to earnings? And if there's lower earnings, what does that make the market? So that's the big question, right? Is that, okay, everybody's in camp that inflation has peaked, at least from the highs it's peaked. It may, to your point, may stabilize, moderate a little bit. How do you differentiate between the causes of inflation moving lower and what it actually means to how expensive this market may actually be on the out years? Because the earnings numbers are all over the place for the S&P, back half of 23 and 24. How do you reconcile that? It's difficult to reconcile, which means it's difficult to be long the market from here. Okay, so to exactly your point, if the Fed's going to be, say we're going to get a soft landing, right? I think people have an internal, this was a great thing to bet on a soft landing if you were right, but there's limits to how far a soft landing can take you. So we're there. And the reason we're there is because if the Fed is going to get a soft landing, by definition, to your point, you have to run demand below trend for many years. No, no, not necessarily many years, for a long time. Yeah. All right? So your underlying real GDP growth has to be below trend. The estimates of like trend GDP. 2.1%. one eight to 2. Okay. Right? So lower than even lower I Lower than that. Okay. So if you have to do that for a long period of time, the issue with the market is you have better earnings this year, of course, because we didn't get the big downdraft, but you have no real recovery, right? And we could have a two years, it just depends how long it takes, of having below trend demand, in which case being long in aggregate stocks here based on higher earnings is just very difficult. So we are now officially into the phase where it gets very idio in my world. If you have a soft landing, if, if we don't have a soft landing, it's obviously a negative, right? We know what happens there. If you have a soft landing, it gets very idio. Pricing power, margins, very specific stories become much, much more important. Mm-hmm. Demand growth has to be below trend, which is not great for earnings on the out years. First of all, I want to know like the emails that you get, the phone calls that you're getting. Are you sensing now, even the people that were bullish coming into the year, are you sensing now like, Dennis, I got this right. I feel like I got lucky a little bit. What do I do here? And conversely, the bears that say, I've missed this entire thing. Am I really going to go long this market here? Tell me what you're getting inbound because you talk to everybody. Yeah, I would say for the first time since we've had this run in tech, the smarter tech investors I talked to actually talked about taking profits on some of the bigger names. I don't know if that retail is just going to backfill or whatever, Mm -hmm. but they're like, I got to bring up my 26 and 27 numbers now. So that was interesting to me. In aggregate, I think where people would like to position, but they're still nervous a little bit about a recession, is the many versus the few, right? They're only real internal kind of trade you can make if you're a long short PM in particular. I shouldn't say the only, but the, the the trade is if you want to protect yourself to a certain extent, if it's a soft landing, you've got to be long the low PEs and 
short the high PEs, essentially. You got to play for that convergence of the many versus the few, the S&P 400 long and short the 100. And then we'll see where the market goes. It feels like having been a hedge fund manager, and if I had gotten this right, and we're getting a little bit long in the tooth, even from bulls, we'll say that once we turn in July, we get to the doldrums of the summer. It's almost as if if you're up 13 to 15%, you should just shift the entire portfolio yeah. into just value and just say, you know what? I'm going to take my chance here. I'm not going to get it. That seems to me- Basically what I was saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that seems to me logical because yeah. I always say people are motivated by how they get paid. Yes. The fund managers in Boston that are long only that have to outperform an index that were underweight tech in January were getting killed. They chased. You saw it. You saw the market peak February 2nd. And then we, yeah. had, we thought it was over, and then here we come back again once the Fed pumped the liquidity in. So I just think this is a crazy time period. And my, you and I have basically been trading around the same amount of years. We've been, we've seen sure. a lot of cycles. Yeah. So as Guy together, and I think you're saying it without saying it, this is a it's not a coin flip. But it's almost choose your pill here yeah. at this point. It's yeah. a bit of a coin flip. Yeah, it, you have like, to stay invested is my point. You yes. have people are paid to be investors. They're, so yes. that's what I'm saying. So yes. how do you direct them? Or what? Basically what we're saying, I am right now, I would say then the, what we are directing them is I want to actually be very long the stuff that's lagged. So stuff that's gotten creamed the most from the destocking issue. So inventory drawdowns. Assuming again that we're not going to be in a recession in the next six months, we have a lot high conviction that's not happening in the next six months. If it's going to happen, it's going to be longer. I say the next six months because to your point on getting paid, we're talking about the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Like That's where we're right. going to be talking to people about. If we're not going to be in a recession and the economy is going to hold up and the employment data is not going to fall apart, then a lot of the retailers and transports and value names that have lagged is where you want to be on a relative basis versus the more expensive stuff. And that's manifesting it to a certain degree, although not entirely. The Russell, the small cap, has underperformed for quite some, relative yeah. to the S&P. the valuation spread is... Is ridiculous. NASDAQ, it's 95th percentile historically. So, so think yeah. about that. So maybe that, just in terms of outperform, I'm not saying the Russell is going to off to the races, but relative outperformance to the S&P. You could have a scenario where the S&P meanders or starts to trade slightly lower and the Russell starts to really explode yeah. on the back of exactly what you just said. Or just is flat or it goes down less. I think like Danny, I, I, I think really in relative of terms. So I, you know, obviously I focus on the S&P, but I'm always thinking, mm -hmm. you know, I'm market agnostic when I come up with a lot of these relative calls. So that's to me coming back, like Russell go up or down, don't really care. I think it's just going to do better than right, that. Better than. Yes. No, but that's important because obviously you can get there a number of ways. I want to go back quickly to what we talked about for the back half of this year. We talked about October, November being a setup for this inflation to continue to rear its ugly head. I think the Federal Reserve sees that as well. And if you read between the lines, as hawkish as they've collectively been, there's people are saying, why are they staying with this hawkish tone when it's things are clearly moving in their direction? Because I think they see exactly what you're thinking. And again, the adage of don't fight the Fed, clearly that hasn't worked this year. But at a certain point, it's going to work. And I think you're getting to levels where you're going to start fighting them and be careful for what you wish for type of thing. Oh, I would agree that if you're in a situation of fighting them in the fall, which we can be again, it's going to be very difficult. I would say that the odd thing that's going on in the market, which we talk a lot a little bit, is no one really believes the Fed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's just like a lot of the, they think it's white lies. They think it's they're not really going to be as hawkish. They're going to blink. Obviously, the post-banking crisis just fed into that. You saw the Fed Funds futures curve collapse. They paused. And if you look at aggregate financial conditions, suggest that the Fed is not going to be a problem, right? So part of the reason this rally is this year, even though they were technically tightening, you never saw financial conditions price in much more tightening. No one believed them that they were going to keep going. I agree with you. I just don't lose sight of the fact that a lot of people think they're going to blink. 
A lot of people think they really don't want a recession. Mm -hmm. A lot of think people uh, believe that they'll be perfectly happy with below 3%, but well above 2% core PCE. All of those things suggest that they don't have to do a lot of tightening. So just an interesting dynamic. When they become obvious again that they do want to bring inflation down, then that's the big signal changer for the market. You talk about why you use the New York Fed weekly economic indicator as yeah. your go-to and why it's so important. It's the best picture of underlying demand in the U.S. economy. It's only production, investment, and consumption measures. So if you use like an Atlanta Fed GDP measure as an example, you have a lot of export and inventory noise in there that skews things around. So the New York Fed's weekly economic index, very highly correlated with final sales to domestic. It's a final demand indicator. And so underlying demand, if you will, is probably the most important driver of inflation or expected inflation from a demand point of view. And what's it telling us right now? Right now, it looks like it's actually hooking back up from around the 1% level. Okay, so it's it's becoming more inflationary, or is that a good sign for it's, demand? It's Sorry. actually coming, it's coming back to our point that inflation could be mm -hmm. a problem because it's not going down more. Right. It's stabilized. So lo, lo, what I didn't get into is, and we haven't talked about, is housing data has gotten better. Right. We pretty much know that unless the ISM falls apart, it probably won't, and consumption stays around current levels, that New York Fed Weekly is likely to move up a little bit from here and start threatening to go above trend again at a time where wages are way too high mm -hmm. relative to what we need for inflation. To so, is, so that is good news for the economy. Yes. At a, I think Danny's going down this road. Is that then subsequently potentially bad news for the market? Because again, yes. it's it is demand growth hooks back up when you have an employment gap that's well mm -hmm. through full employment and wages sticky. So the Atlanta Fed's wage growth tracker came out today. It's considered the gold standard's ECI, then the wage growth tracker, then average hourly earnings. So the wage growth tracker went from six four, or maybe uh, there's two different ver there's, there's a smooth and unsmooth, but it doesn't really matter. 6.4 or 6.1 about 5.6. Big decline. Everyone's excited. Levels matter. You're still at 5.6%. Mm -hmm. So if the economy stabilizes here when you're already through full employment, it's going like, to start to trend back the other it, way. It, it could just stay there, right? It doesn't even have to go back up. Just stay there. It would imply inflation that mm -hmm. stays at way too high of a level. The scary thing is, and this is something we haven't talked about, what if demand growth, like the New York Fed Weekly, stays around 1%, which would indicate below trend, our estimate of trend, but inflation doesn't come down. That means that productivity is hard. It's stagflation, isn't it? It what means, it? yeah, it's, it's, it basically would mean that you need a deep recession just to get inflation near target. It means the odds of a soft landing are very low. That's the scenario that we're, that's pretty concerning. So when do those numbers start to manifest themselves in terms of the work that you do? Does it, does it line up with that October, November dates that we talked about earlier? If we were to hook up, obviously, we wouldn't wait to, mm -hmm. to then. I don't have any reason to believe it's going to hook up aggressively. Perfectly, right. Yeah, but if it did, that would be... That warning would, sign. That would be a warning sign. That would probably show up in continued tight labor markets, wage, like then associated with that would be average hourly earnings not coming down in the payroll report next couple of months readings. But if you stay around these levels or just grind a little bit higher, all of this would come together in roughly 4Q. So your firm, obviously you built this firm. You you have many talented people that work with. You guys cover everything. You, you cover commodities. You do some yep. international. Give us a little flavor for what all your analysts are talking about right now in general. Take us around the globe a little bit and into other products. If, if yeah. You so thanks. The economist, Gerard McDonnell. Yeah. We just call him Gerard. He's referred to it. Yes. Yeah, Gerard. Yes, Gerard. So one Gerard. word. He just has one name. Guy, I think this so. makes us a little bit yeah. differentiated. So Gerard yeah. sat on the row with Steve Cohen and those guys. He was at 0.72 for 12 years. Yeah. Really talented, interesting man. So his big thing is what we're talking about. He calls it two-stage disinflation. The easy disinflation we talked about and then getting from four to three, we're below. We all just went through that. So that's his 
big focus right now. Michael Herson is our China analyst. Michael, I did a lot of work with in the past. He was U.S. Treasury's deputy liaison in Beijing. We dealt directly with the- You don't mess around, Dennis. Keep going. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. keep going. And then Eurasia Group before joining us. I've known Michael a long time. China, for demographic reasons, because they have a demographic time problem as far as being able to service those liabilities, is highly unlikely to do a significant stimulus. Highly unlikely to bail out the property market unless it gets absolutely horrible. Doesn't look good. They are going to be a constant source- of economic headwind for the world. Related to that is our commodity strategist, Colin Fenton. Colin was at Duquesne, Osprey with Dwight Anderson, JP Morgan. He's actually been one of the few people that's been negative and right on oil. Has he turned recently? No, I would say, I don't want to speak for him. He's turned on gas. Yeah. Yeah, he's turned on diesel. He hasn't turned on oil. A lot of this is related to He's always a little bit more positive than those others because it's just been freaking hot. Right, right, right. <laughs> and the warm winter was the reason he had to be a little bit – part of the reason he could be negative on those same things. But at the end of the day, he makes a really good point on the supply side. That's the focus of all the commodity bulls, right? They have a lot of conviction in it, and there has not been enough focus on the fact that demand is normalizing lower around the globe. I think the IA came out today and said that. Yeah, right. as you've yeah. seen production, especially in the U.S., increase in Russia mm-hmm. flooding the world with oil. And then, as you would know, as any good trader would know, when the Saudis come out and make cut announcements, that's not from a position of strength. And now there's some possibility. He's floated this as an idea, and this is fun to think about. It's not a call, so don't hold him to this. U.S. production is up. It's very good for the U.S. Saudi is cutting. They've done this before. Why, why don't they just flood the market with oil and start putting people out of business? They did, I think, did something like that in the past. Mm-hmm. Might have been around the shale boom. I don't know. But they kept production higher when, when clearly demand was weak. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but this is when, if you're an oil bull, this is the type of risk you have to keep in mind. There could be some weird geopolitics at play. Who else is on your all-star bench? Is that Does that cover the gamut? I know you have uh, so te- John, Johnny Roke. technicians. Yeah, I should have mentioned Johnny Roke right yeah. off the bat. Johnny Roke's our technician. He's yeah. phenomenal. So he was at Soros uh, for six years. And then he went to Scott Besson, most recently at Wolf Research. He was Lehman Brothers many years ago. He's had a pretty hot hand since we've started getting a lot lot more bullish first time in a while I've seen him bullish on, say, even like Bitcoin, yeah. the charts. So that's the way he, he looks at the world. Bullish on industrials, one of the best looking charts out there. We had a six-month consolidation, hardly even budge when other cyclicals were coming under pressure, breaking out. Uh, bullish small caps. So he's pretty bullish on the average stock, a little bit more negative on the, the megas. And so if people want to subscribe, you're institutional at this point. You don't have a, you're not building, do you have a retail platform? We have a platform that caters to non-institutionals. Okay, you do. Yes. So, and they so can you can just get it on, on the website and 22vresearch.com. 22vresearch.com. Yeah. Dennis, it was great having you on here. You continue to do great work. People can interpret the charts. I know which way I'm going to interpret them <laughs> any, any way they want. And you're a Hall of Famer in my book. Guy, you, you get, you're, you're, with, you're with the legend. You know, his, you, his dad passed away, and Dennis can speak, you know, way too young. I think your dad was 62 when he passed away. Yep. But I will tell you, those teams from 69 to 73, 74, I mean, you think about the guys on the team, your dad, Hall of Famer, Bill Bradley, Willis Reed, Monroe and Frazier in the backcourt. Then earlier you had a guy named Cassie Russell. Yeah, Dean Memminger on that yeah. team. No, a dream. And then Jerry Lucas, who people don't realize. Jerry Lucas, one of the great college basketball players of all time from Ohio State. He was one of the top NBA players as well. If there was a three-point line back then, people would be talking about Jerry Lucas a lot differently. So those teams were extraordinary. And as I said when we started this, your dad, that trade to the Knicks, that's what changed the fate for the Knicks 
all those many years ago. You, didn't you play college? Didn't you play college hoops? I play you? lacrosse. You I, play lacrosse. I, yeah, I used to practice with the team on, on the basketball okay. team quite a bit. But no, I'm your strategist. <laughs> you, you're not a basketball player. Let me I'm let me rephrase two, it. I'm six two yeah. in heels and not that fast. Exactly, <laughs> Dennis. Really appreciate you coming on. I look forward to having you back. Here yeah, I love it. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.